Hello and welcome to Real World HR, the podcast which is putting the human back into HR. I'm Louise Kennedy, a HR expert, a chartered CIPD professional and the founder of Oculus HR. At Oculus HR, we give a refreshing view of HR to support businesses with trusted best practice, support and advice. In the Real World HR podcast, we focus on people and of course where there's people involved there's sometimes problems. But we don't shy away from that. We tell the stories that we've learned from and explain the processes that we've done to be able to support the solutions. In this episode, I'm super excited about the spotlights on me and my team at Oculus HR. We'll share our journeys and why we love working in HR, along with discussing some of our standout real-life stories from our world of HR. Have you ever dreaded having an awkward conversation with an employee or a manager? Have you ever lost sleep worrying about a situation at work? Do you know whether your culture at work is inclusive or supportive? After listening, you'll be equipped with solutions to face these issues, along with having a good chuckle at some of the situations that we highlight. Are you ready to step into the real world of HR? I'm Louise Kennedy, the owner and director of Northeast HR Consultancy, Oculus HR. We're a Sunderland-based organisation and will provide tailored HR solutions to many of the region's most reputable brands across all sizes and sectors, giving enterprise the confidence to manage their people. We established in 2013 and since that time we've worked with a range of different services including outsourced HR support and also training. I've worked within HR for approximately 20 years, uh, primarily working initially within manufacturing and that was within printing and packaging and then within automotive. At the point when the automotive was uh, closing down, I took the decision that I was going to set my own business up. So nine and a half years later, here we are. Um, Oculus HR is established and well-formed. And we work with obviously many different businesses across the Northeast and throughout the UK. Because I've got such a wealth of knowledge, I'm really excited to be able to do these podcasts. We're going to start off by talking about the team, but over the, the following few episodes, we'll be touching on all sorts of different aspects of HR. So we hope you enjoy the real world of HR. So, Deb, do you want to just run through with us about what it is that you do in Oculus HR with regard to what your role is and what you do with our clients as well? Yeah, I'm an HR consultant with Oculus HR. So I deal with all different clients, helping them with all sorts of situations that can be day-to-day situations, disciplinary situations, investigations, attendance management, um, redundancy, anything that really is covered within the the HR, um, within the range of HR issues, as well as producing for them contracts, working with them to produce contracts, policies, employee handbooks, um, and any HR documents that they need. And you're just in day-to-day contact with them, aren't you? You know, people yes. just come to you directly and they just you just build up that working relationship so people just completely trust what it is that you're doing and saying, isn't it, to be able to, yes. your, your engagement with them? Yes, you do. You build the relationship with, with clients and clients quite often will come to one HR consultant that they, they know and that they're comfortable with. Um, for all work, we're all here to support them. But yes, so that relationship's built up so that you understand how their business works and you understand the kind of support that they need. Yeah. So a lot of what we do is around the handholding element of it, isn't it, to be able to either go in and do it on behalf of them or to support them as well, isn't it? Yes, it is. I think I think um, from what we do, I think what benefits clients is that we will give them as much or as little support as they need. So that might be hand-holding for them. It might just be advising them before a meeting. It might be holding the meeting or managing the process for them. Um, But I think it's that flexibility that is a benefit to them because it is tailor-made to suit their business and the way that they want to work. 
Okay, so then we've got Claire, and uh, Claire came on board with us at the beginning of this year in January time, so we're kind of nine months coming up, um, which doesn't has gone by in a complete flash. <laughs> um, so Claire, do you just want to give us a little bit extra, tell us about what your experience was before joining Oculus HR? Yeah, so I've been in HR about 25 years. I didn't actually choose HR as a career, I fell into it, which I think lots of us do. And it was really around working with people. So it was in the retail sector uh, for 20 of those years, working with store managers, professionals, area managers, divisional teams, did resourcing roles. um, So bringing new people into the business and then really following their journey through um, and that full employee life cycle and looking at it from a talent perspective, succession planning. And really, how could we um, support people's journey and that they didn't just come for a job, they came for a career within the business. After that, um, I took a bit of a change of direction and started to work with a software company and with smaller businesses and really working on a one-to-one with managers and a little bit of what we do at Oculus, doing some hand-holding, really giving them some support and advice on what to do, how to manage a business that's expanding and how to deal with a small business um, that's actually part of a global business and how those relationships and interactions work. And that was latterly before um, coming to join Oculus. That's great. So obviously you came to join Oculus at the beginning of the year. So what what's your role within Oculus? What is it that you're doing primarily at the moment? Yeah, so I'm an HR consultant with Oculus and really it's about working with local businesses to support them with any of their people-related issues. Where do they need some support, some advice, and really building those relationships up with them to enable them to progress and grow their business and take their people along on that journey with them? Yeah, and I'm assuming that you've really enjoyed it while you've been here. I have really enjoyed it. It's great to work with both you and Deb, and I think I have that small team where it's really integrated and people can pick the phone up to any of us and we work really closely together and can pick up where someone else has left off if we've got other um, clients to speak to. So really about how do we as a team support the businesses um, to do that and that's really different and I think very satisfying to work with smaller businesses where you can really help them and know you've made a difference to their business in quite a short space of time. And I think it does make a difference doesn't it you know because I think we work so closely together and we all know what each other's doing and what kind of the hot topics are and we'll share the information between us and we'll have those kind of moments of oh my word, what's happening next? And can you believe that that's happened? And then we'll have the giggles that go along with it as well. I think that definitely helps our relationship together, but also has kind of been able to deliver to, to the customers as well as to the clients. Definitely. I think you can definitely say you never get two days the same. Um, you never know what's coming and you might have a plan and then you just get a call and you're like, oh, wasn't expecting that. Let's let's see what we need to do with that. Um, and it's always good just to talk it over because as, as long as you've been in HR, there's always a situation that comes on that might not shock you, but you kind of go, hmm, not come across that. And we have a bit of a conversation around, okay, what's our plan? What's our thoughts on that? So just leading on from that one then, um, what's the most entertaining, Nicole, that you've taken from HR, <laughs> from one of our clients? I can always remember starting with uh, the business and you saying, oh, you know, you'll never deal with clients like this in a, in a big organisation. I think one, I can remember one that probably sticks in my mind where taking a call from a manager of one of our uh, businesses with a 
conundrum on how to deal with a situation where a couple of members of staff involved and someone offered to service their girlfriend whilst he watched because he was not well enough to do that himself. And that's quite an interesting starting conversation with a manager that you've maybe only had a quick couple of conversations with. So it's, hmm, okay, you're listening. And then in your head thinking, okay, what's going on here? And then go on, and what am I going to give as advice in this situation? So It was definitely one of those moments because it was just so awkward, wasn't it? Obviously, yeah. so one employee's asked another employee's, would you service um, my partner? And can I watch? It's kind of, it's not one of those things that come up every day. I've never seen that in any HR book or any um, CIPD fact sheet. (laughs) (laughs) So afterward, had a little um, giggle around, which was the right way to deal with the situation. Um, We obviously then kind of thought about what the, the process was that needed to take place. And obviously, as you say, sometimes it's like, what information can you give or advice that can you give back to that client straight away? And it's sometimes it's difficult, isn't it? Because... You think, oh my words, what? <laughs> you know, um, but in that given circumstance, uh, you guys both dealt with the situation. Do you just want to run through, not necessarily the, the basics behind, but what, what we did as part of that process there? Yeah, so I think, you know, after initially hearing um, the situation and, and kind of checking as anyone dealt with a situation like this before, hoping that the answer's no, then it was really around thinking, okay, what is it we can do to help this? Because it's not acceptable behaviour. What is it that needs to be done? How can we support that manager through to a conclusion? So from that, we did an investigation. And and that is really around fact-finding and speaking to all of the parties included, just to establish what went on, who said what, when was it said, how was it said, is it as it's been portrayed initially or actually is the more of the situation? And once you've done that, it's then working with the manager to make a decision. So we can advise on what are the options, but the decision sits with the manager um, or the business owner around what they're going to do. So that was my part in that, really speaking to them, um, establishing the facts having some very awkward conversations because it's not a subject that anybody wants to talk to and, you know, getting to actually what was said was um, was as difficult for them, I think, as it was for me asking the questions around it. But came to that of, of then actually we needed to take action in the situation and then Deb was then brought in for the next stage of that. And one of the important points, just before we move on to Deb there, one of the important points is everybody perceives different situations, like the same situation in different ways, don't they? Absolutely. So the importance of the investigation to speak to different people, you know, given that circumstance, people people inevitably come up with different perceptions of the same situation, don't they? The perceiving, which is why the investigation is so important before it goes to the next stage, which is obviously what Deb did. Do you want to just talk us through a little bit? So the, ne- so the next stage um, was to move the situation onto a disciplinary hearing. Um, so that was to meet with the both of the, the parties involved because in this situation, there was the employee who had made the initial approach to um, request that the other employee provided services to his, his partner. Um, but also as the partner also worked at the organisation to, to meet with her because she had been involved in that situation as well. Um, so it was holding the disciplinary hearing with those with those people individually and a representative from the company to go over the issues that were raised during the investigation and ask any other questions that we felt we needed to be able to get all of the facts to make a decision as to whether as to whether disciplinary action should be taken or not and what that disciplinary action should be. Okay, great. 
So obviously, you know, a small business in that type of way doesn't really have an idea of what to do next. You know, I think there's so many of our businesses that we deal with would just flounder a bit, would worry, they would have sleepless nights. And at least we've kind of established with our clients that we work with, we establish the ring us up and then they know that they get some resolve on or they get the resolve that they need to. Um, and I think one of the old things that we always like to do is give that variable a risk around what's happening, isn't it? It's one of the important things. I was just thinking there, um, you know, we try and do, well, we do, we're HR in the right way um, and it's very real. But just one of the recent companies that we've been dealing with, they've kind of, uh, they've highlighted things that have been, again, moments where we've gone, should they really be doing that? type situations so one of the ones that they did they uh, they give a very limited amount of time off for bereavement leave so if somebody was going to take some time off for um the brother-in-law maybe who's died um they would be given two hours unpaid leave which you know is not it's not the right thing to do from a company you know you have to think about your culture you have to think about how it is that's being put across and how sympathetic people can be but then the bit that worked on top of that which i was kind of completely standard by was that they're asking for death certificates at the time to be able to prove that they needed these two hours off. Um, and we just thought, complete. I mean, at the point when someone said that to me during the course of a meeting, I was completely taken aback that actually either we're given two hours off for someone like a brother-in-law, but then they were asking for a death certificate to be able to prove that it was there. So there's, there's things that we come across in businesses that are kind of are completely wrong, aren't they? You know, that that's what, from our ethical point of view, that we want to make sure that people are treated morally right and that HR does have a good reputation. And um, that's not, not always just kind of in a threatening type of way. It's kind of, it can be something that really engages with the business and helps as well. Definitely. And I think, you know, there is a, a positive side to HR. And I think sometimes that's not always seen because, you know, we're brought in for things like absence reviews or disciplinaries or dismissals, but actually it can help support businesses with culture. And I think that's the real key aspect that is sometimes forgotten in smaller businesses or in businesses where they don't know what to do. So they either leave something until it's a really big issue and they don't know what to do and they make some rash decisions and then that's harder to unpick um, and they get themselves in a bit of a situation or as you described there where you think what what must it feel like to work in this business why would you want to be here and how would you from a, a straightforward position think two hours is okay for a, a, a close relative when you know someone's really grieving and, and how do you support that person and do they think about putting themselves in that position and would that feel right for them so I think there is that do we trust people in the business, you know, do we do the right thing by them? And, and we like to really think about it from that perspective when we're talking and, and dealing with our clients. Yeah, trying to think a little bit differently, isn't it? I was just one that popped to mind there, and Deb, or years gone by, but they still do it in their business about the holidays. Can you remember that uh, one of the businesses that we've got where if you want to take a long weekend, you have to take two weeks off? So one of the businesses will actually say, if you want to take Friday and Monday off, you need to take like two, two, two full weeks off to be able to take a long weekend off. And I remember again at the time, obviously we can only provide advice so far, can't we? But we still struggle with that, don't we? We do, we do, and struggle with is as we expected we would struggle with with staff retention because if you you know need a, a a day off, you can't have that. You've got to take you know if it's a long weekend, you're taking two full weeks off. People don't want to do that, so things like retention can become an issue. Absence can become an issue. Um, and I think it is just providing that flexibility that help employees live their lives and have support in living their lives as well as maintaining 
that that structure that you need fulfilling your business needs but i think it is that structure that sometimes can go from one extreme to the other that you have you know some companies will give lots and lots of support but there isn't really any structure to that and there isn't really any recording of that but then others who at the other extreme will give two hours off for the death of a close family member and then ask for a death certificate as proof of that which are, which are kind of in in our minds, obviously HR experience wise. Both of those examples aren't great, are they? You know, they're not they're not a great way to be able to manage the business and what it is that should be happening. And we come across this quite a bit, don't we? Yeah, you know, we do. We do come across those situations where you think, "Wow, you uh-huh. know, that's not how we would no. think it would be in these businesses." And, and I think a lot of what we try and do, and I know it's a lot when I do any type of training or anything, we talk, I talk about a lot of like standards and expectations, you know, so having, having your core policies and things in place is really good, but having some standards and expectations of like how people should behave, how they should conduct themselves, how kind of, you know, the fact that they should turn up for work on a daily basis. And if they don't, they give them somebody a quick call to let them know they're not going to be in. Some businesses just don't do that. And actually there's nothing wrong with that because people might not realise that that's not the way to do it. But actually, there's something simple that can be put in place that can make a big difference to it. You? And, and I think there's a lot of quick wins, isn't there, like that? Completely. Where you can really support your people, grow your business and have some structure. And I think, you know, people like to think they want to run a business really informally and really, you know, go with the flow. And, uh, but as businesses expand and you get more people in, you've got to create some degree of structure and people just want to know what's expected of them and be clear on it. And I think if you are trying to run a business, you need to know what you can ask of your people. And so just putting those, you know, policies in place, that training, those standards, that, you know, expect expectations really just helps everybody and actually can alleviate some of those little bugbears and niggling issues that sometimes we get involved in because those conversations haven't happened. Yeah. And actually one just springs to mind straight away when you said about that. We had a client who decided that they didn't want to do policies because they were they were cool and they were like dead funky and they just wanted to Deb smiling over the other side of the screen mm-hmm. here. Um, so well. <laughs> they were they were just thinking they were they were a computer software business and they just really wanted to be this cool business. So we got involved with them and obviously did contracts with them, but said you really do need some policies in place. At the point that they decided that they want to take everybody on holiday for a week, um, we were kind of a little bit, mm, do you really think that that's the right thing to do? So they did it a couple of years on the trot, didn't they? And then the third year, we got the call from holiday that actually things hadn't all gone to plan, had it? And turned into one of the significant cases for us actually around um, sexual harassment, wasn't it? Yes. Um, and I think the thing that that we learned from that, well, he didn't have the policies in place, so it became a bit more difficult. Um, but the thing that we learned from that was around that sexual harassment about what what people perceive that it is and what they do, isn't it? It is, yeah. And I think in that particular situation, what sort of struck us most with that was that it was the kind of behaviour that on holiday amongst friends may not have been considered to be sexual harassment, probably wouldn't have been if people knew each other had those relationships in place. But this was a work situation. Yeah. Um, although it was outside of the usual usual work forum. Um, and I think what we really needed to take from that as well was how the person felt um, on the uh, the recipient of that kind of behaviour and how uncomfortable she felt that she was receiving that behaviour in a work situation um, and thinking about her feelings as much as and more than the um, person who really had just, as, as far as he saw it, overstepped the mark whilst on a holiday. Yeah. And that so that for us was very much about 
somebody had displayed some actions towards somebody else. Um, and at the time, to be truthful, when we spoke about in depth at the time, many hours that were spent talking about it, we didn't actually perceive those acts as, like, we didn't perceive them as being harassment, did we? We, no. were, we were very kind of like, is that really sexual harassment? Mm -hmm. And our advice that we'll take, and at the time, because we worked with an employment law solicitor, was very much around, it comes down to how someone's been made to fail because of it. And I think this is important for all businesses, you know, when people come forward with any type of comments around bullying and harassment or, you know, people feeling like they're being victimised or they're you know, termed up as being just being picked on. Um, I think it's just a major thing that actually everybody feels different and you have to take on board how someone's been made to feel and not just brush it under the carpet. Even yesterday when I was talking to someone about it um, at an event, they, they said, oh, I, you know, I, I complained to my manager about it, who was a female, when I was being inappropriately spoken to and the manager just brushed it to one side and said, does the manager just get on with it? Well, that's just not right, is it? You know, that's the bits where you need to take responsibility as a manager, as an owner, that you need to step forward, isn't it? Yeah, and I think what it always, for me, when I'm speaking to clients with situations like this, is it's always bringing it back to how does the person feel? What was the impact on them because you get so many comments along the lines of well that's just the way he is or that's just the way she is that's what she does um, or oh well he's a bit old school you know that's that's the way things were then and that you know and it's it's moving beyond that so that it wasn't just about someone who you know is behaving the way they maybe did in a workplace 30 years ago um, or has some some views which we would rather they didn't express in the workplace but to understand how the person who is receiving that actually feels because uh, I think there are so many situations which can often start off as what people think is just banter um, but then they move on and they move on beyond the stage of being banter and certainly for the person who is upset by them they're not ban it's not banter and it's not jokes. It's a serious situation which is having a, a great impact on them. Definitely. I don't know, we've talked about quite a bit, Claire, with kind of that intent versus impact as well. Yes, Do you yeah. want to just kind of give you a view around that? Yeah, so I think for me, it, it's really what Deb's saying there, how people interpret situations, but I think there's this impact, intended impact felt. So it may be that the person doing an action or saying something didn't actually intend for um, the person receiving it to feel how they did, but they did. And what you can't do is argue with how someone feels. That's not your prerogative. You can argue with maybe their actions, their words, but you can't argue with how they feel. So I think it's really important that when we're dealing with these delicate situations or these challenging conversations, it's about understanding how did that person feel? What was your intent? And yes, you might have just intended it to be a bit of banter, a bit of, you know, lightheartedness but actually the receiving end of that could be very very different and I think people in workplaces now are really more mindful of that and I think you know Deb mentioned there about oh well they've always said that or they've always been like that or you know they've been here for years we just take that you know we can't really say anything to them about it and actually you can because that's not acceptable and just because someone's done it all the time doesn't mean to say it's right and it does you know sometimes take Something small, but it's on the back of other things for someone to raise an issue. And I think businesses worry if people are going to raise a grievance or, you know, speak up or speak out or, you know, use whistleblowing policies. But actually, it allows the business to address the issues that maybe has just been brushed under the carpet. And that's where we can come in and really help them understand and talk to them about their culture and their communication. And I think one of the things I'm thinking about while you're talking there is years ago when I worked in automotive, I had a, a situation where 
um, someone was making derogatory comments towards somebody else. Actually, the comments had been made to them and that person didn't take offence at it, but actually somebody else took offence at it. And because then it was then raised to the business that actually we then need to do something about it. So it wasn't the individual themselves that the comment had been made towards that had the problem. It was the other person that witnessed it yeah. and just said it was completely unacceptable. Now, I've come across quite a few times in businesses where people say, well, if you don't put a grievance in, then we can't do anything about it. Or, well, it's got nothing to do with you, so actually it's, it's, it's not relevant. That's not right, though, is it? Because actually no. once that once the employee has been made aware of something like that, then they need to take action. They have know? a duty of care for yeah. all of their employees, don't yeah. they? So you're right, if it's not the individual themselves on the receiving end, but someone else has observed it and they don't feel that's right or acceptable, absolutely they need to speak up and do something. And as an employer, have a duty of care to, to respond and look into it um, and understand the situation and its, and its further details. Yeah, and that's where, going back to the beginning of this part of the conversation, that's where those policies are really good to have in place, aren't they? And we're not all about putting kind of loads and loads of policies in place so you kind of you don't know where you're at or anything but it, but about having some basic policies in place so you've got some procedures to be able to follow when these type of situations come up I think is really relevant isn't it? I think having a framework's really a benefit isn't it and that's yeah. what the policy mm-hmm. is especially if you start now or you're not sure or your team's expanding because it's it's different when you've got one or two employees that you can just really talk across a desk to and things but when your business starts to expand you do need something and I think policies um, and what we look at is about putting those in place for a framework, f- just for you to have that starting point of, okay, the situations arose, what am I going to do? Where do I start? How do I think about doing something? Yeah. And I think, you know, we've come across, obviously we very often get involved with a business that hasn't got anything to start with. And our first priority is making sure they've got just even even a few documents really there to be able to put that framework in place. So, so there's some standards, some expectations there. And so people know what's acceptable in the workplace and kind of have those behaviours there. I think that probably leads me on to thinking about one of our biggest cases that we've done is around a bullying and harassment situation. We were approached um, by some uh, a client and... A couple of employees actually really falls back upon what you were saying there, Claire. A couple of employees had stepped forward um, because they were unhappy about something. They realised that the behaviour that was happening within the workplace against their from their manager towards them was of a grave concern. At that point, I um, went into the business and spoke to them and really just tried to take some an understanding of where they were at because they, they had raised it and they'd raised it directly with the MD. We were brought in, fortunately, unfortunately, it was with the HR department. So we they needed somebody de- separate to come in to be able to do that. So just to kind of give a bit of detail behind that, obviously, I went in and spoke to the individuals and it was a really difficult conversation that I had with them. Bearing in mind, you know, doing this for 20 odd years, you, you kind of you get used to coming across so many different situations. And I sat with three of the ladies and kind of really went through all the details which took actually took us about seven or eight hours to go through the details that that needed to for for what they had to say around the bullying and harassment and I left that room really feeling that they'd been abused in a type of way in the way that they would describe the situations and how, how they would blame themselves and the circumstances that had happened and you know is it my fault should I have let that happen and and the people have been in the workplace for such a long time with the individual and they just didn't know what to do and they had no other way to turn um, and it was really quite upsetting so I carried out the investigation element of that and that individual themselves at, at my point didn't have any awareness of what they were doing they, they didn't understand what they were doing had an impact upon anybody else they didn't have I don't believe they had an intent that went along with it but the impact was so significant and coming back to what we're talking about of how someone had been made to fail was just was pretty devastating to see 
the women who were in the one in the 30s, one in the 40s, one in the 50s, seeing that impact upon it, who were all at different stages of their lives, all at different vulnerabilities, who were then suffering from health problems, anxiety, depression, high blood pressure, and were all thinking about leaving their employment. So it was really quite upsetting one for us to be able to do, but I know Deb, you then were given the the, the challenge of uh, to be able to do the disciplinary. Yeah. Do you want to just give a bit of kind of view of your thoughts, probably supporting really what I've just said on there as well, I think. Yeah, it, it does. It, it exactly supports that because the, the disciplinary hearing was talking about those issues with the, the person who was accused of them and trying to assess her understanding of the impact of her behaviour and trying to put across to her to, to get an understanding of why she was behaving in that way, the impact that it was having on the other employees. And I think it also sort of showed to me how sometimes companies will try to, or people will try to avoid using policies where actually maybe they should have been used, but that would have been the way to manage the situation rather than to engage in, in behaviour which could be seen as bullying behaviour and which, in my opinion, certainly was seen as bullying behaviour and was completely unacceptable in the workplace. But I think for me, during that very lengthy meeting, it was trying to get an, an understanding of whether this person actually understood the impact of that behaviour, that they didn't mean to have the impact that they had, but that that was the, the actual real situation for those employees. And one of the difficult things there was it was it was about a team, wasn't it? There's a, yes. there's a small team and someone had an issue with their manager. And I think so many times, again, you speak to different people, you know, outside of the work context, you know, you come across people and they have an issue with their manager and they don't know what else to do. Now, I know the, the, the team really struggled with what was the right thing to do and they hummed and hard for such a long time to be able to make the decision, but they did the right thing. And really what I want to kind of put across is that there are resolves to these situations. You don't have to continue on like they had done for years in that situation and kind of be drummed down by it and affecting their own health by not wanting to speak out. So it's a really important element of it, isn't it? So so obviously we got to that point in that situation and Deb did a dismissal from the business because it was just a point where it was completely unacceptable and it was just not tolerated and couldn't be tolerated by the business at all. And then Claire then managed to get the appeal point. Um, so the, an appeal was raised, quite a lengthy appeal was raised from that. I do remember this day I actually rang Claire to find out where she was because she hadn't rang back after five hours. <laughs> yeah, I think she thought I was missing an action. I was like, where's she gone? I can't get in touch with her. So five hours later, yeah. um, what did you find out? <laughs> yeah, so it was a lengthy appeal. And I think the challenge um, for me in any of these situations is for an individual to understand and, and and acknowledge the situation that they found themselves in. And that can be really hard for people. However, you can have a very sensible conversation with somebody once they've realised their actions and the impact it's had on people. When they don't have that self-awareness, it can be a very, very difficult conversation to have. And again, this perception of a situation of, you know, well, it's acceptable because outside of work, you know, everything's okay, but in work, well, that's okay. That's acceptable for me to speak to somebody like that or for, for me to ask them in that way um, and for them not to understand how devastating that can be. And to see people that are, are, have had a long career not realise that that can be such a... Um, a devastating impact on somebody is is quite hard. So to to kind of get that reasonableness, I suppose, was was challenging. And also for the representative for the business, you know, that somebody had been in their business for so long and yet 
none of this had been brought until very recently to their attention was really hard and and for them to say that but absolutely knew it was the right decision and that it was not right for them to return back to the business but I think the thing you know you, you get that to a conclusion but I think it's a ripple effect it's what happens afterwards and how do people feel and do they still feel they've done the right thing by raising the issue in the first place so I think it's a really challenging situation um, but as you say, there's always a resolve. It's just it can take some time. And I think sometimes think the only resolve is to leave a business. And actually, you should never feel you have to leave a business because of somebody. The decision should be yours for whatever reason. And I think when that's taken away from you, it can leave quite an impact on you in your career and how you feel longer term. Yeah, definitely. And I think we've we've obviously supported that business since that time as well, haven't we? Yeah. And it's it's actually been lovely to be able to see the progress that's been made in there um, and the the difference that's made upon the individuals and and it's and it's part of it that we never normally get the involvement on you know seeing these people back at the beginning of the year being so upset about it and not really not being able to sleep and kind of deal with situations to to being in there even earlier on this week and it's it's a lovely environment and they're, they're full of confidence and they've got a capability that's there and they've really grown as people um, and grown in the roles that they are there as well and Actually, it does make you feel good. You know, the fact that you've been able to make a difference to people's lives as well, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Because you can see such a difference in a reasonably short space of time, really, can't you, about how they're feeling and their confidence has grown and they're not frightened to ask a question. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and they think, oh, you know, maybe we should know this, but actually you don't so ask the question and we'd much rather anyone asks us a question and we can help and sometimes we debate about it don't we don't have all the answers sometimes that's um that's part of the challenge isn't it kind of, as, as we said everyone's got a different view of a situation but actually trying to get it to actually what do we do next yeah I think that's really important I think it's just deciding on what the right thing to do is from a business point of view but it has been nice to be able to kind of see through to kind of the next stage to know that actually they're okay yeah. you know and that they've been able to come through it and now the point of them getting a HR manager in place it's going to be it's going to be a big change for them but I think something that they're, they're now probably able to cope with as well isn't it so and, and I think they can say that actually you can have good strong working relationships at work yeah because that's not something they've had for a long time I think that gives them confidence to be able to do that and to see actually you can have an open and strong relationship. Yeah. So really just talking about on the back of what we're just talking about there with regard to ensuring that people feel comfortable to be able to come forward. We've dealt with quite a few situations over probably more so over the last year and a half, two years where people have, have been in, in a really difficult personal space and obviously coming to work or having come to work, we've either done it through kind of managing attendance management um, of people being on long-term sick, which is kind of a whole process that you need to make sure that you're doing just so you can maintain that contact with people or people on um, short-term absences or people just in the workplace who are just struggling on a day-to-day basis and they don't have anywhere to turn to. Now, obviously, from from what we do, we know that they, without categorising too much, the NHS services aren't always great to be able to help people who've got some mental health um, concerns. People don't know where to turn to. Sometimes people don't want to go to the GP. They don't want to take medication. And I think we've got some real good success stories of where we've been able to really um, help with a particular company that we deal with, um, who we'll do another podcast with at a later point. But they, they've really turned people's lives around, haven't they? They've been able to make a difference with it. So just a, really just a couple of examples on there. One of the particular businesses that I deal with, 
had come forward well had been on long term sick and we'd we'd offered to be able to provide them some support and some help because they weren't getting anything from from anywhere they weren't you know and these people were at the point of of committing suicide they knew what they were going to do they knew how they were going to do it and again very distressing type situations when you're having calls with people around well-being and obviously they're blatantly not well but to be able to have a resource that we've got to be able to, to be able to put it out for um, obviously at a cost for people to be able to provide some type of counselling services has been really, really beneficial. And what you also get from that is that people buy back into it. So in that particular business that I'm mentioning, we had, um, I'm sure there's two different people that were at the point of committing suicide. And actually this particular business became their support mechanism that actually when they got that far down the line, they were the ones that they rang and they spoke to and they provided the help and the support to it as well. But we've also had um, people who've come forward and, uh, and one of the hot topics at the moment is around alcohol in the workplace. So not necessarily people coming into work under the influence, but people drinking whilst at work. So we've got an ongoing situation with that at the moment. And we've had one last week, which was that you picked up, Deb, that someone had obviously, well, the story behind it really goes that when I was in the in the business, I'd, I'd met this person and thought he's definitely under the influence of alcohol. What is it that we're going to do? How are we going to how we're going to deal with it? Spoke to other people within the business, but they didn't have anything set up in place to be able to do something, and they didn't know what responsibility that they needed to take with it. And anyway, he's, he's speech and he's, he was getting worse and worse over the course of the next couple of weeks, being slurred and not being able to stand properly, not being able to speak properly, really trying to concentrate on what he was um, trying to say as well. And then when I was on holiday, Debbie, you took a call and you had to say completely unacceptable they've, they've spoken to him about it isn't it yeah they had come to the the realization that there was they, they felt that he was drunk at work um i think one of the concerns that i always have when people appear to be drunk is that that can mask a number of things sometimes it could be a symptom of something else um, so i advise them to sit down with him and have a conversation in relation to why he was slurring his words why he he appeared to be drunk was there any reason for that you know, what did he have any kind of medical condition that that might give those kind of symptoms? Was he on any kind of medication? Um, and his reply was that he he wasn't, and he was just tired. He certainly wasn't drunk um, at work. All of the signs pointed otherwise. That particular company had a a policy in place for for drug and alcohol testing. They asked him to do um, a breath test, for which he he refused and and left. And left the the business at, at that point. And he resigned from the business then, didn't he? He did, yeah. Yeah, and that leads me on to one where when there was a business where a guy was actually driving. It's part of his role within the business, wasn't it? And he and he collapsed outside, didn't he? Um, one lunch lunchtime, and they they called the ambulance and they took him away. Mm-hmm. Do you want you dealt with that really, yeah. didn't you? Yeah, I think what had happened with that was is what quite often happens in businesses when problems like this come about is that people try to either ignore it or try to help without actually doing anything particularly productive about it. They try to maybe just have a chat with them, tell them that it's not acceptable. I think sometimes there just isn't an acceptance of the problem. Um, And this had happened with this guy for quite some time um, until, yes, to the extent that he had then gone, left the premises, gone outside um, to drink again. And then it collapsed. Um, I met him to investigate the situation. This was a very small business who didn't have any kind of employment policies in place. Um, I met him to investigate the, the situation and it became quite clear that it, it wasn't just someone who had decided to have a drink that day, but that he appeared to um, have some alcohol dependency problems. 
So we asked, we advised the business that they had, they asked him to undergo an assessment with a, a company um, in that area. Um, and it was shown from there that he, he did have an alcohol dependency to the extent that he needed support to actually, give, if he wanted to give up alcohol, he needed support to do that. It would be dangerous for him to to just to try not to, to try to stop drinking. That just wouldn't work for him. It, it could actually kill him. Um, equally, had he continued drinking the way that he was, um, he probably wouldn't have had a, a long life expectancy either. So he he engaged with that support. And the last we heard, life was much, much better for him. He was back at work, completely sober. And his life seemed to be picking up, seemed to be to be completely back on track now as a, as a result of, of their support and obviously his engagement in it. And I think it was so important from the business point of view there that the business invested in him, didn't they? Yes. They allowed him to to be able to, well, they financially invested in him, but he paid himself to be able to get put on the programme that we managed to set up for them, didn't we? And actually, the last time I'd spoke to them about the the, the company that they used about him, um, he had bought himself a new car. He was back in touch with his family. His dad who'd stopped working had been able to return back to work. He'd returned back to work. So the success story was really good. And so for all, it was a very difficult situation where he, you know, he collapsed outside of work was the catalyst of why they needed to do something. And certainly when we got involved with it, but actually the result of it was really, was really positive, it wasn't was, it? It was, it was, a, really it, was a, positive. Uh, it was really good that we're, we're able to introduce them in that type of way to be able to do things. And I think another one I was thinking about was the, a guy who'd, who would kind of on a, on a regular basis, like disappear off the radar, wouldn't he? He would disappear for two or three months, really every 12 months, wouldn't he? And disappear off the radar, wasn't able to function. Um, and we managed to get in touch again with this um, particular company that we use for mental health support. Um, and there's been a great success turnaround on that, hasn't there? There has. I mean, the, this guy had uh, mental health problems dating back for a number of years. Um, and his way, when he, when he was, that happened to him, he just, disengaged he just didn't look after himself didn't take care of himself just withdrew from life in general and uh, we'd had numerous conversations with him where we'd said if you know if we can help if there's ever a problem that you have please contact us um, and I came to work one day turned on the computer to an email that he literally must have sent as I walked into to the office to say that he needed help so yes we put him in touch with that company um, and they supported him through that the company that he worked for financially supported him and, and you know paid for that kind of treatment for him but yes he what he finds now is that he's got the mechanisms to deal with the problems that he has and the strategies to cope with that so that it it, it will always be an issue for him but it can be under control and he can usually manage that with the support that he has yeah and I think really what we wanted to highlight there was around, you know, the different employers can do different things, can't they? They can support people as, as much or as little as what they want, but there are options are available out there. And sometimes it doesn't have to be a significant cost to the no. business, but actually what you're doing is changing people's lives. Yes. I think there's some significant things where we've been able to change people's lives because of that type of thing as well. Yeah, and I think it's that structure, isn't it? So that when you are supporting people, you do... It is structured in how you do that. You record how you do that so that you can make, you can proactively support them rather than sometimes with something like an alcohol dependency, you can inadvertently feed the problem by allowing that behavior to continue and allowing the problem to get worse because, you know, you, you're trying to help, but sometimes ignoring a problem certainly doesn't help it in, in, in that kind of situation, doesn't. Oh, and some businesses need to deal with that differently, don't they? The one that we've got on at the moment you know, they've got a zero tolerance to it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, ultimately you sometimes can't be flexible yeah. upon that. You know, it's all good and well having the policies in place 
Um, but then, then they need to be followed, don't they? They need to be followed through. And actually, if somebody is drinking in the workplace, then it's it's not something that's acceptable. Um, but it's then how the business want to be able to provide support, or if they can, because sometimes it is just a follow of probably one of the points we haven't um, raised here is consistency is so important, isn't it? So how you treat one employee needs to be how you treat another employee and that transparency around that treatment of people. Coming back to really what we said about the standards and expectations is so important that everybody's treated equally, they're treated fairly, you know, that that the responsibility is taken there from the employer to ensure that, that people come to work and feel safe and happy in the workplace as well. So just thinking about kind of from that um, point of view, we've recently had, uh, well, we recently, we regularly um, get grievances that are put in um, and Again, part of our businesses, we'll, we'll, you know, the grievance will come to us and we'll go in and independently review a grievance situation. So, Claire, you've obviously had quite a, quite an interesting one, um, over recent times, which is kind of spell, like span out really, hasn't it? So it's kind of gone from grievance. It's, it's turned into some bullying. It's turned into people leaving the business. It's turned into sickness. It's turned into like kind of a, a big, big situation. Do you want to just give us a bit of an overview? Yeah, I think what's really key about that is actually there can be a ripple effect from one set of circumstances. Um, so, you know, a grievance being put in, as I said, it gives a business an opportunity to deal with any issues in there and they've been brought to the forefront rather than being swept under the carpet, which we've talked about can happen. But I think people need to be really clear what is a grievance and what it's about and and what are they wanting as an outcome? Because I think, you know, there's a difference between complaining about how somebody has been or you don't like what they've said in a conversation to actually a real clarity around I'm raising a grievance. This is what the grievance is. This is how it's made me feel. And this is what I'm looking for as an outcome. And I think um, it's quite difficult to get to an outcome if someone's not really clear on it and actually when they don't really know if it's a grievance or not. And I think dealing with uh, one of the particular situations we've had over the last few months is a grievance that actually isn't really about that. It's it's about a power. It's about their impact. It's about them being able to influence other people um, to do what they want to do. And if they don't do what they want to do, then, then, then complaining about it. Um, and it's a bit like that. a threat, really, isn't it? It is a threat. And, and um. I think, you know, you talked there earlier, Louise, about people wanting to be able to come to work, do their role, feel safe, comfortable at work. And it's really difficult that if you're in a team and you can't feel like that and you think, and what is today going to bring? And what if, you know, really treading on eggshells of what can I say? Who can I say it to? There's a trust element there around it and how people can feel. And it does have a real impact on people's mental and physical health. Um, and I think you should never underestimate that, that, you know, an off the hand comment can actually be quite detrimental. And I think just before you move on there and just thinking about that particular grievance that you're talking about, when there were so many different situations that came from it, one of the things was something that we wouldn't have expected to come up, which was more like an upward bullying that came through from it. Now, people always think that bullying is kind of from a manager down over. But one, I think the important point, one of the important points of many that came out of this situation was that, there was an upward bullying situation that's going on there and actually the person that was being bullied was being bullied in two directions, upwards and downwards, but was a very vulnerable person then, wasn't it? And Very vulnerable and I think people always do automatically think that bullying is it's a, it's a senior person in the business to to maybe a junior and actually there's, there's more occasions where we're starting to see it, an upward bullying 
But I think that's really hard for a manager to acknowledge and realise and then think how they're going to do something about it because it can be quite intimidating to think that one of their um, employees is is purposefully doing that and making them feel how they do and, and how do they cope with that. So I think they're quite difficult conversations to have with someone to understand that situation, to reassure them and actually say, what is it that we're going to do about it? Because I, I think the difficulty comes there is as in, it's just a, well, you manage them. Why don't you just manage them? You know, and actually yeah. sometimes when you've got a really difficult employee, you can't just manage them. Can you? There needs to be something. But I think what we find some, sometimes is that person's not doing enough you know, without without that person who's been bullied come forward, that person's not doing enough to kind of do some type of disciplinary action on them or take some type of actions yeah. because of it, because there's nothing transparent that's coming along with it. It is, and it's, it's back, back to, to how, interpretation, how isn't yeah, it? It's absolutely about interpretation, how someone's been made to feel. And I think, you know, someone can sit there and go, well, you know, I didn't think that was, you know, I, I didn't mean that, or, you know, I don't like that. But actually, they've not took into account how that person's felt. And also, again, about that ripple effect and what that culture feels like in that business and that atmosphere and, you know, people frightened to say anything or people feeling not well enough to come into work in that environment because they don't know how things are going to pan out that day and who's going to be speaking to who and how they're going to be spoken to and actually do they want to be part of it. And and that leaves people in a very vulnerable position, again, where they think, is it a business I want to be part of and actually should I go and look for something somewhere else? When actually their role, their job, their fulfilment from that point of view is there, but actually the atmosphere and the culture and the feel is really uncomfortable and, and makes people think twice about doing that and making some really difficult decisions from a personal point of view about whether or not they um, are going to stay in that business, but actually they need to work. Yeah, it, it is It is a really difficult situation when we'll get grievances like that that's been put in and that we know that there's, I mean, we've, again, we've all been involved in the situation and it's kind of understanding what we can do and kind of breaking it down. I think working together with us as a team is it really helps because we can say, right, this has happened, this has happened. How can we break this down and kind of make those points to be able to move forward with it, isn't it? To be able to Definitely. process driven, um, but also taking on board everybody's feelings that are involved in it because it's not just about the process. You've got to have that pragmatic view, haven't you? Because actually you're dealing with people and in, in, in each of the situations. So yeah, your policies are there and your framework and you know we're we're looking for a for the right outcome, but the journey along the way has to be right for how those people will be made to feel. And and to be clear that actually what is acceptable. Mm-hmm. Because I think, you know, there's something in, in situations like this where everyone goes that's just the way they are and, you know, it's been like this for years and it's just going to stay like this and, you know, shrug their shoulders and kind of go, we just have to grin and bear it. And actually, that's not what um, people have to do. And that's where we come in to kind of go, well, actually, you don't have to grin and bear it. Let's talk it through. Let's see where the resolve is. And let's equip people to have the right conversations. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. I think that's key, isn't it? I think it's having those conversations and it's going back to what we talked about earlier, which is don't just wait for the grievance to come in. If there's an issue, it needs to be resolved don't wait until it's a grievance because I think what it can turn into is there's one grievance and then another grievance follows. So then someone else puts in a grievance and, you know, you end up managing lots of grievances where actually some action earlier on yeah. might have, have resolved the situation at that point before it turned into such a serious issue because it can be such a big step for someone to take a grievance. 
definitely can't. And I'm smiling at Deb while she's saying this because she's they've, they've now got well, four or five other grievances that have come yeah. in on the back of the original grievance that was put in. So it's kind of escalated into like a bit of a monster really, hasn't it? But, but inevitably we need to go through those things to enable cultural change to take place because it can't continue on in the way that it is, yeah. can it ultimately? And that just probably the next thing I'm thinking about there is around, around discrimination, um, around people making claims around discrimination um, and around when people come forward and they're prepared to raise something because something's come up. And I'm just thinking a few years ago, Deb, where we'd had, it was a doctor's surgery, wasn't it? And there was a there was a, a lady who had a medical condition who couldn't walk properly. She had no. sticks and she was she really struggled, but she still came to work and she still worked full time. Um, but there was other people that always had a comment to make. They always had something else to say. They always had um, a quick jibe thing, such as I'm not going for lunch after her because she walks too slow. Or why does she get car parking space just directly out the back? You know, it's not fair on everybody else. But actually there was the business had gone around and made some reasonable adjustments to be able to help the lady to be able to work, to work full time. You know, just because she had a disability didn't mean that she could work. But actually other people then had opinions around that, didn't they? So again, it wasn't one that that lady who was being, you know, discriminated against came forward to say, but it was something that had been picked up by other people yes. within the business, hadn't it? Yes. And it had come forward and that, that was a pretty difficult situation, wasn't it? It was, it was difficult. And I think, again, it goes back to the impact versus the intent because the lady who was making the comments didn't really see them as serious comments, just felt that they were just offhand comments that she was making. But when we actually met with the employee who who the comments were made about and asked about the impact on her, she said, well, I feel like I need to leave. I feel like I can't continue here. So what one person thought was an off-the-cuff comment was enough to make someone feel that they needed to look for another job. So it just highlights how important it is to think about the impact on the person on the receiving end of that. Yeah, and that, and but in that situation, that woman didn't come forward to step up. She was just no. quite prepared to leave her employment rather than step yes. forward, which is such a shame, isn't it, that we, we end up in those situations. And I think as we touch on probably discrimination, discrimination's one of those areas, obviously, there's there's nine protected characteristics under that, underneath that, but I do feel like discrimination is used as a quite a, a quick comment. I've been discriminated against. Well, actually, people haven't been discriminated against. The discrimination needs to be around kind of age or race or um, ethnic origin or sexual orientation. So, you know, there's obviously, as I say, nine different ones, but again, we've got different situations where we've kind of come across where we've dealt with that and there are some very genuine discrimination type situations that are there. But again, it needs people to come forward to be able to speak about them, doesn't it? it does. and, and I think that's hard and I think you're right. I think the word discrimination is used quite a lot. I think it, it covers a multitude of sins for people if they don't like a conversation that's been taking place. And, you know, we've, we've all been in HR a number of years, but I think the power of Google and, you know, all others, people can Google things and kind of go, oh, well, that's what I've got. Or, you know, that's what I'm going to say. Or they know somebody somewhere who maybe knew someone down the pub who knows something about HR or a solicitor. And you get that kind of element as opposed to actually what is the situation? And that's where our investigations and that fact finding has to come in when those situations are raised. Because actually what someone thinks is discrimination may not be. Because as you said there, there's nine clear protected characteristics and that's where we would look to say actually does it fall under any of those that would be our initial starting point um in an investigation good and i'm i'm just thinking obviously while you're talking there obviously discrimination is such a big area of it in itself um which we'll touch on a different point probably in a different podcast 
But I probably just want to highlight to people, uh, different companies that actually they're not always big issues that people are dealing with. You know, people will give us a ring and say, Joe Bloggs is late every day. You know, like he's, he's been late five times this week and it's very, or somebody's continuously using the mobile phone. And, and we do do kind of like the back to basic side of things, yeah. don't we, to be able to say, Absolutely. actually, you know, these are everyday issues. You know, people not turning for work because I think they put a holiday in or just decide that they're not going to ring in sick properly. Or, you know, the there's these low levels that, you know, people need to deal with you know, as, as, as employers who've got, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 staff that these are the basics that we need to put into place around kind of that standards and expectations, making sure that we've kind of got other things that need to cover in there as well. If you deal with those, they don't become the really big issues. Yeah. Actually, if you nip them in the bud and, you, and again, those standards, those expectations, we expect you to be at work at this time. We expect you to, you know, be smartly dressed, have your uniform on. We expect you, you know, to inform us if you're not going to be at work. They're all actually straightforward basic things that we would expect people to do but if they don't then ask for some support because we can help you deal with them otherwise it will become a bigger issue and you've also got to set your standards across for all of your team you said earlier about consistency you know it's not all right for one person to be late five times and someone else three times but not do anything with one of them you know it's, it's got to feel transparent and and people feel that they're being treated equally otherwise that causes a, a different issue Okay, so just thinking around um, the standards and expectations that we've just been talking about there, I think one of the other hot topics that comes because around social media, isn't it? it is. um, and it's about the do's and don'ts about what people should do, what people shouldn't do. And, and I mean, there's there's so many different aspects of it that go through. It is making sure that you've got policy in place. So we've got something that's that's quite, again, standardised to be able to make sure that people know how to follow through. A couple of good examples just before we kind of get into the detail of um, what should go into a policy on it is we had uh, one particular company, uh, must be about five years ago now, and it was kind of a farm, farming type business really, like an engineering type business. And what they did was, which was completely inappropriate what they did as well, never mind just putting it on the internet, um, they chased uh, some some guys who were in the 50s, chased the apprentice around um, in the workplace and pinned them down with a couple of crowbars. Um, and then somebody cut his beard off and just kind of with a pair of scissors. So as we, um, obviously completely unacceptable, but more so that somebody then recorded that and just put it online. Um, and obviously they all had the company logos on the tops and they all had the, the company name and the background. It was put out on YouTube, it was put out on Facebook. There was obviously, you know, from a business point of view, wanting to make sure that that wasn't done um, and that the, the reality of it isn't actually put out there. So you know, a couple of different issues, what happened there happened and it shouldn't have happened in the first place. But then advertising that as what the company allowed to happen is really what that would have been seen as being. So pretty difficult one from that had another awful one that happened and again the action shouldn't have been done in the first place where someone had been um, wrapped in cellophane um, which sounds very odd the, the company kind of wrapped things in cellophane um, and they were bullying this particular guy um, and they did actually wrap him in cellophane and again recorded the whole thing and put it out on social media which was very distressing for the guy that had been involved in who had actually been wrapped but also the the individuals that had been you know that had put out there but also the family of the people that had been involved in it as well and ultimately these things like dismissal you know you can't have somebody that's in your business that behaving in that type of way but also that 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 the, the social media element of it that comes out there but I think one of the important points is the is the basics that put on so Deb do you just want to kind of go through a couple of examples where you've had some some kind of what we class as, as low level things that are put on but actually they bring the company into disrepute by the actions that have been put out there yeah, I think it's it is some of the basics. It's things like um, informing your employees that they shouldn't 
connect their, for instance, Facebook pages with the um, employers, social media accounts, and down to understanding the impact of the the job that they do and the company that they work for. Um, one particular one that, that springs to mind um, was an, an employee who would complain about their workplace on social media, um, not understanding that they actually lived in the community that the company operated in and people knew that that was where she worked. So other employees would then make comments or the the arguments which would have taken place within the workplace were then put out for you know anyone in the local community to see and were then in a in a public forum rather than what would have and should have been managed privately. Not such a big impact as the the examples that you've given, but still very worrying for the company, the company concerned. So I think there's that we, we come across varying levels of what's acceptable and what's not and I think people take to social media and there's a lot of case law around it there now people take to social media to put out there of what their their thoughts are quite publicly about oh I've had a terrible day at work or somebody's done this or someone's done that and they don't realise the impact that it has not just on the company but on themselves but on, on their other employees that they work on there as well I think the social media is just such a big area that's continuously rising, isn't it? It's continuously something different, something new, new things that are coming up all the time. And and it, and it is just people not concentrating on what it is that's being put out there and thinking about where it is that the work and what impact that it has upon other people. One thing that we'd like you to take away from this today and to consider how you could make a difference to your own work and life for us, it's very much about consistency. Consistency is a particular area that we talk about a lot and it's very relevant for both the employer and the employee. If you can do one thing, it is to be consistent in the approach that you've got towards how you treat people, to how you work with other people um, and also be very transparent about how you would do it. So consistency and transparency are key in the approach that you've got on a on a day-to-day day basis in the workplace, as I say, with as being the employer and the employee. Okay, so we just really want to thank you very much for listening to our Real World HR podcast. We've hoped that you've took some interest out of it. Let's hope that there's some things that have resonated at what happens within your business where you think, actually, yes, I do need to do something about that. And I think what we'd encourage you to do is to kind of don't procrastinate. You know, these things can be resolved. They can be done quite easily, whether it's with us, whether it's with somebody else. You know, that the, the services out there that can help businesses do things. I think people just have to realise employers or managers, you don't have to do it all on your own. There are people that are experts that are out there to be able to help you out as well. You can find out more information about the things that we've discussed on the episode and in our show notes. So we are the real world HR, putting the human back into HR.